Hey everyone, and welcome to today's high score. This is Sifted's weekly call-in show, and it is going to be weekly. This is the first time we've done it since March of 2018. I know because the old graphics told me. Um, it has been insane trying to get this all set up for today's stream. I didn't think I was going to get it done. I literally almost postponed it for to tomorrow to get everything wired out, but. I think I've got things set up good enough that we can do it for the first time. And so people get the idea. A lot of people haven't heard of the show, people who are new to Sifted and weren't around when we did it before. So uh, just a couple things before we get started. Got to lay some groundwork. First of all, if you're going to call in and act like a jackass, don't bother. You're going to last for like a second and you're going to be cut off and it's just going to be a pain in the butt and it's not going to be good for anybody, not even you. Um, our Skype handle is Sifted Games, um, and generally how it works is I'll bring up a topic and I'll discuss it for a little bit, and then I'll ask for calls. Once I'm on a call with somebody, don't try to call in <laughs> because we don't have a call screener here, so we can't put people on hold and kind of queue you up and then bring you in afterwards. So while I'm talking with someone, you can call, but I'm not going to be able to answer. So. Generally, once I finish a call with someone, I'll finish your thought or two, and that's your time to call in. And uh, I'll be judicious. I'll try to get everybody on the show. Um, if things start to drag, and this is the first episode that we've done in a long time, and it took us like four or five episodes the last time around to kind of get things uh, where we wanted them as far as participation is concerned. So I fully expect today to be a little slow. Once people see the show, they'll start to show up on Saturdays to be a part of it. At least that's how it worked the first time. So welcome to today's high score. Um, first thing I want to discuss today is Nintendo. So a couple episodes ago on Game Face, we basically did a topic just praising Nintendo. That's pretty much all it was. We were just celebrating the success of Nintendo. Uh, and after that show was over, and after that show went live, I started digging into it a little deep, more deep. And I think I have come to an epiphany. I've come to a conclusion that I never, ever thought I would come to regarding the Switch. And if you guys remember, I was skeptical of the Switch at first. Um... <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be as successful as it is. Uh, I'm not hiding. I'm not. I'm not going to deny that I that I was kind of down on it when I first heard about it. Uh, since then, I've apologized many times and, and said that I'm wrong. But the epiphany that I've had over the last week is, and this may rub some people the wrong way, or you guys may think I'm crazy, but I think the Switch is Nintendo's best console ever. And I know when you first hear that, you're like, whoa, no way. It can't be. But it is. <laughs> um, not just a success. It is the fastest-selling Nintendo console ever. Um, it's not just the software sales. It's not just the hardware itself. It's all of it. All of it rolled into one. And when you really go back and you start looking at prior Nintendo consoles, none of them were even close to what the Switch has done already. And I know that may sound crazy, but it's not. 
<laughs> so I went and did some research on some old Nintendo consoles, and obviously I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a games journalist since around 1997. And so I, not only have I played on Nintendo's consoles, I've covered pretty much all of them in depth throughout the years. So I've been there. I've talked to Nintendo. I've done interviews with their executives. I've covered Nintendo a long time. My first fan site in 1997 was a Nintendo 64 and Dreamcast website. So I've been following the company very, very closely for quite a while. And I feel like I have a pretty good base of knowledge as far as what Nintendo's been doing and the, the successes it's had, the mistakes that it's made. It's had a lot of both. And I think that when you look at all the data, you're going to agree with me that the Switch is Nintendo's best console ever. So let's start taking a look at some of the numbers. And they're pretty astonishing. Uh, first of all, obviously, console sales. Nintendo has sold 37 million Switches worldwide at this point, And that is at about 30 months. 30 months. And it sold 37 million. To put that in perspective for you guys, the GameCube sold 22 million in its, in its entire lifespan. The Nintendo 64 sold 33 million in its entire lifespan. Super Nintendo sold 49 million in its entire lifespan. And the NES sold 62 million in its entire lifespan. Now, the Wii U, the worst of them all, at 3.5 million. And the Wii, to date, the best-selling with 101 million units sold. Certainly nothing to scoff at. However, Switch is on pace, maybe not to beat the Wii as far as total console sales are concerned, but they are certainly on track to get close. And in 2019, that is a big deal. Um, we just shot around a Pactor Factor yesterday. New episode will be coming on Monday or Tuesday. And one of the questions that they asked him was, you know, what's up with the Switch or with the PlayStation 4? Do you think it can reach the PlayStation 2? Because it just hit 100 million and it did it more quickly than the PlayStation 2 did. But it's about 48 million consoles short of what the PS2 did. And obviously, you know, it's... It's being sent out to pasture. It's the last phase of uh, the PlayStation 4. And it's, and it's probably not going to hit the PS2 numbers. But it's still impressive nevertheless. So my point is, is that standards have changed from the Wii era. And that selling this many consoles in 2019 is far more impressive than what the Wii did. And then you can get into software sales and things like that. And I think you'll see that software sales as far as attach rate is concerned for the Switch, is far higher than what there was for the Wii. So, Commander Fett 3 thank you for subscribing with Twitch Prime. Appreciate it. And thank you for doing it 10 months straight. Appreciate it. So you start looking at the numbers, you start looking at the data. It's pretty clear that the Switch, in my opinion, is the most successful. And I see some people in chat are saying... Best-selling doesn't mean best, though. Totally agree. Sales, to me, mean very little in the grand scheme of things. But I think by the time we get done with this discussion, you're going to look at the numbers and you're going to realize, oh, wow, you're going to have the same epiphany that I had. So 
Let's look at some of this data. The Nintendo Switch, and I know this is mind-boggling, and you may not believe it, but currently there are 1,825 games available for Switch. That's in two years and five months. Again, let's go through some of other other Nintendo consoles. Uh, most people are going to say Super Nintendo, best Nintendo console ever. The Super Nintendo had 721 games in the U.S., 517 in Europe, and in Japan, I will say, it had over 1,400 games. So in Japan, it had double the games that we ever got in North America. But still, North America, 721 games. The NES in America, 679 games. Nintendo 64, 388 games. GameCube, 657 games. The Wii, the Wii, 1,535 games. So already, the Switch has a bigger software library than any other Nintendo console in two years and five months. And I hear you. You're going to say, oh, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of games for Switch, but most of those games are indie games. And that's true. That's absolutely true. The vast majority of the Switch games are indie games. But that's true of every console for the last generation and a half. The vast majority of their games are indie games. So this is an, Switch isn't an outlier in this case. It's par for the course. That's the way the industry works now. The crazy part, well, the crazy part is that there's that many games already in a little over two years. <laughs> That's really the crazy part, 1,825 games. And I see people are saying in chat, but wait a minute, it's about quality. Okay, okay, I'll take that bait. The Switch, in two years and five months, is the first Nintendo console to have big budget releases for the following franchises, Zelda, Mario, Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, Pokemon, Kirby, Yoshi, Fire Emblem. That's in the first 30 months. Now, do you think those games are quality? I think if you look at the Metacritic scores for all those games, they're really quality. Even the, the outliers, if you want to call them outliers, talk about Yoshi or Kirby, those games got around an 8 Metacritic. That's a high score, people. That's a really freaking high score. So the low end of the marquee Switch games, the first party games, are around an 8 Metacritic. So tell me. Call us. You tell me why I'm wrong. Why is the Nintendo Switch not the best-selling or the best Nintendo console of all time? Call us at Sifted Games on Skype, and you tell me. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you, you, you agree. You're like, the Switch is the best console ever. We have our first caller. Matt, 14090. Yep. Welcome to today's high score, my good sir. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You're a little low, but I can hear you. All right. I, I 
I should be clear. I actually kind of agree. I think Nintendo got where it is with the Switch by doing what people have been telling them they should do for a while, and that's merge their handheld and their home console business. Like, yes, their Switch is by far their best console, but it's because they're not splitting their resources anymore. And is that something that you had requested for a long time? Yes. <laughs> also, I'm by the way, I remember you camp. from today's high score when we first did it. Yep. Um, so I'm very yep. glad you found it again. Thanks for calling in again. I appreciate it, man. Yep. I'm definitely in that camp of a long while ago that they should merge those two divisions. Like they clearly had the studios. They were just splitting them between two systems. And other than the software output, how do you feel about the hardware itself? I think the hardware is pretty good. If not, as we've seen recently, some quality build issues. Otherwise I think the hardware is pretty good. And it's sort of what I want, which is basically a handheld that I could just, drop in the dock and play on my TV when I want. Now, to play devil's advocate, what do you think the argument is going to be that people are going to present as to why the Switch isn't Nintendo's best console? The argument is going to be people are going to point to games like Chrono Trigger and stuff that the SNES had, like these all-time classic games. But I argue things like, Breath of the Wild fall in that category here. <laughs> yeah, what about uh, Super Mario Odyssey? Yeah, I kind of take the descending opinion on that game. To be oh, you quite personally honest. don't like Mario Odyssey? No, I'm much more Mario 64, Mario Galaxy territory. Yeah, I mean, I like those games as well. Uh, I will, I will say this about Mario Galaxy: I did not finish it 100%. It is the first. Mario 3D platformer where I did not get all the stars or moons or whatever you're collecting in that particular game. It was the first one that I did not do that. What do you you think it was about that game that kind of... It's because it's a banjo game. It's a -a collect-a-thon. I prefer when I play a 3D Mario game to actually have platforming challenges, not collect a million doodads. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I felt like the platforming in the game was pretty tough. Like, there were those, I can't remember what they were called, there were those stages where it was just all jumping, and a lot of times there were platforms that were, like, disappearing underneath your feet. Do you remember those levels? Yeah, it just it felt like a large portion of what you were doing in that game really didn't feel... Like, again, I liked the curated platforming challenges of Galaxy and Mario 64 and whatnot. So... So you think people are going to say the software library of the SNES is going to trump the uh, the software library of Switch? Do you agree with that? I, I kind of, like, I don't mostly because we're at a different place in the industry. And also, if you look at the Switch's lineup this year, it is just astoundingly good. <laughs> like, we're looking at basically Switch has what like five or six games this year did i actually care about all fairly big games yeah i didn't even bring up fire emblem i mean i mentioned it as one of the games yeah. that released in the first two years and a few months yep. but fire emblems metacritic right now is sitting in around a nine so <laughs> you have a handful of games creeping up to the 10 mark and we're only two years in that that's impressive to me 
Um, I think people might be sleeping on Astral Astral Chain, to be quite honest. No, you're right. I'd agree with that as well. Uh, Platinum's upcoming Switch exclusive looks awesome. Uh, it was one of the games at E3 that I got to check out that kind of changed my opinion about the game after seeing it in person. Uh, you're right. And I think that's another thing that we're forgetting here is the third-party support for Switch. Nintendo is, and look, it's still anemic compared to what you typically get on other consoles, but when you compare it to other Nintendo consoles, I mean, it's still pretty good. It's got Bethesda on board. I mean, it, it got a, a Bethesda action RPG. That's a gigantic deal. Um, but I think a lot of times with Nintendo consoles, and, be, and I think a part of this is because for a lot of people, Nintendo console is their second console. But I think a lot of people just tend to assume that Nintendo consoles have zero third-party support. But they. I mean, I'll be fair. It is my second con my second gameplay thing as well. I mostly play PC games, but yeah. but yeah, like I know. But for what I know, what I'm getting, which is some really good first-party stuff and some really unique third-party stuff, because you actually have to make games specifically for it. So you don't get the bog standard stuff that you find on the PS4 and Xbox One. Which, frankly, I'll be I'll be honest, I found most tri AAA this gen to be pretty lacking. So, but. That's me. Now, do you have other consoles, or are you just PC and Switch? Just PC and Switch. Okay. What made you decide to get the Switch versus a PS4 or Xbox One? To be honest, it was Smash Brothers and Pokemon. Oh, wow. So you're a big Pokemon fan? Yep. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your call, and uh, we'll be here every week, and feel free to call back next week. Anyone else? Got an opinion on this? I know somebody out there does not agree with me about this. I know a lot of you probably don't agree. In fact, I got a sneak at the chat, and I saw a lot of you were, were saying numbers don't equal quality, and I absolutely agree with that. But I think in the case of the Switch, you're getting both. You're getting a mass number of games, and you're getting quality games, and not just f quality first-party games, which is a huge departure for Switch. Um, I mean, I haven't even talked about the hardware yet, to be honest with you. Um, and again, you can call in at Sifted Games on Skype. The line's open right now, so call in and we can get you on the show. Um, but I haven't even talked about the hardware yet. The fact that it is a hybrid console. It's a console and a handheld. Um, and, and as our prior caller said, it is true that unifying the development pipeline has helped switch a lot. Um, but... That's the way it is. It's like you can make special rules for anything in life. And, and to be honest, with data, you can typically manipulate data to basically back up anything that you're trying to prove. But the data here is pretty simple. There, There's 10 to 12 really high-quality exclusive games for Switch in the first two years. And it has some of the really big third-party stuff, but all of the amazing indie stuff. And we're, we've transitioned to a point where Nintendo is now getting the indie stuff first. I just created several games this morning on Sifted, new indie games. Um, a lot of them were PC and PS4 because they were coming from Asia. But the vast majority of games that I create now are either announced for PC and Switch or it was already announced for PC, and the first console that that game is announced for is Switch. So it's not just qu quantity. There is quality there. It has the best indie games, 
a lot of people would argue it has the best, the best first party lineup. Uh, the third party is getting better. And if Switch continues to dominate here over the next couple years, that's going to get better, people. It's not going to get worse. Now, I know EA is an outlier. We're actually going to talk about EA a little bit later in the show here because there's a lot to talk about regarding EA. But I don't know. It's undeniable. Call us at Sifted Games on Skype. You can come in with just audio if you want, just as our last caller did. You can come in with video if you like. We'd prefer that, obviously, because it's much easier to understand uh, someone's inflection when you can see their face. So we'd appreciate that. Um, or maybe you just all agree with me. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm right on this. Maybe you guys agree that Switch is the best. All right, looks like we got our second caller coming in. It's Matthew Wilson. It's O-Taps. What's up, O-Taps, man? How you doing, dude? I'm good, thanks, Shane. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling in, man. I remember you were a regular contributor when we did the show before. I'm glad that you decided to jump back in for the reboot. Yes, absolutely. Not going to miss a chance to uh, to jump on this when there's an opportunity. So how do you feel? Do you agree with me on this? You think Switch is <laughs> Nintendo's best console ever? I think I am in your camp um, because... I'm I'm no sort of Nintendo expert, so I might be a little bit ill-qualified to cast my opinion. I've only really dabbled with Nintendo over the years. Friends have had consoles, have gone out and played them, perhaps borrowed a couple here and there. Um, but the, the biggest praise I guess I can, I can give the Nintendo Switch is that this is the first Nintendo console that I have owned myself. That I've gone out and bought and played, and it's been mine. Really? Previously. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's surprising. Why have you never took the plunge on Nintendo hardware before? Uh, well, I mean, I've been playing games since Mega Drive, or what are they called over in your, over your way? I don't think they were called the Mega Drive. The old Sega. The Genesis. Genesis. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And so I, in Europe in particular, it seems like Sega was the dominating kind of console there. And as a young kid, I, I didn't really have a choice over what was given to me. It was just, uh, you know, your parents went out and got whatever, and then you played it. As I as I got older, I, I decided that PlayStation was going to be my route. As a you know, as a you know, just coming into sort of teenage years, and then when I finally got the chance to get a job and purchase and sort of make more more informed purchasing decisions myself, um, it was about the time when the uh, the Xbox 360 was just launching, and at that time, the uh, the appeal of HD really got to me and and the games like gears of war and, and bits and pieces like that and we had the wii which was very successful and i i was probably one of the only people that didn't own one but i knew people that owned one i, I only really played wii sports on that and then in, i thought well i know there's a lot of quality nintendo games i've been dabbling over the years and that whatever comes out next i'll buy that and it happened to be the Wii U. <laughs> and I thought there's no way, <laughs> there's no way I'm getting that. Yeah, that, the um, timing wasn't great for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I thought, well, I'm not going to touch Nintendo until they can show me something that I'm interested in. And then they came up with the Switch. They came out with Zelda and, and Mario Year One. And I thought, right well, yeah, great time to jump in. Also, can you think of another Nintendo console that had Mario and Zelda in its first year? No, I mean that's. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed both those games, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's a big first year to get people on board, and um, that was obviously a strategic play they 
clearly pushed out Zelda so that the, it could launch with the Switch because technically it's a, a Wii U port. Right, That's, yeah. yeah. But um, it got people in the door. It got people like me to jump in and, and purchase the console. Day one, this was. And uh, here I am, years years later, if it's, if it's sitting here. I haven't played it too much lately, but it was the first one that kind of grabbed me and I thought this is, this is now time to, to get involved. How do you like it now that you've had it? I do like it. I like it as, a, as another option. Um, I I think the just the, having the flexibility of handheld is I find it useful. I don't religiously play it in either docked or, or handheld, and um, I think just having that option just to grab it out of that dock, go into the lounge on the sofa, be a bit more relaxed, and, and play a, a game is is great. And I've taken it on long haul flights I've, and, and played it on on the plane. So it's been it's been useful having this kind of this dual compatibility with docking it onto your TV and also taking it on the go, and uh, I think that was a great move to do that for for Nintendo. What do you think about Nintendo's software? I mean, this is kind of the first time you're really diving into it. I'm, you heard a lot about it, I'm sure, before you ever bought a Nintendo console. Now that you own one, is it living up to the hype? All the stuff that people have talked about over the years. Yeah, I think so. I mean. It... I've played the likes of Ocarina of Time, and that's probably the, the main one that I really wanted to, to play. I played that on 3DS, so I borrowed that and, and played through it in a month. But I was impressed with Breath of the Wild. I, I didn't think it was the second coming, like most people did. Or yeah, video I didn't games. either. I'm sure you know that, but yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> so, but it was, a great, it was a great game. I, I enjoyed my experience of it. I really liked Mario Odyssey, and I had played Galaxy 1 uh, around a friend's previously and I, I loved Mario Odyssey um, I got Smash first time I've played Smash in about 10-15 years because I used to go into a friend's house he was Nintendo through and through so he had Smash and obviously that meant he was really good at Smash and I was crap so he just kicked my ass every time I went around <laughs> there so I didn't have much of an affinity I, I played through World of Light I played a little bit online but competitive multiplayer is not really my forte so that that's died off a little bit but I've en I enjoyed it for what it is and um, I haven't taken the dive on Fire Emblem because it's a it's a game I've not played before. But I I've been hearing good things and um, I'm tempted to to give that a go. But Pokemon's coming late this year. I know what I'm going to get with that, so I'm most likely going to commit to that and maybe even Animal Crossing next year. It was interesting. I was shooting with Pactor yesterday, and I'm sure you saw the last round of episodes where he kept trying to get people to join his clan for mm. a mobile game. And he's still on about that. He still wants people to join his clan, and he talks about it in these episodes as well. But I started talking yeah. to him about the game, and it it's like a strategy RPG. I mean, that's basically what it is. And yeah. so then I asked him, I'm like, did Nintendo send you Fire Emblem? And he's like, yeah. And, and I said, did you play it? And he goes, no, I hate that series. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about, dude? It's the <laughs> same thing. It's the same thing that you're playing on mobile right now. And he goes, really? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. It's absolutely a strategy RPG. I'm like, you should take that code, download the game, and play it. He's like, I like playing with other people. And I was like, well, there's <laughs> kind of that, but not really in Fire Emblem. So I could not convert him and get him to play it, but uh, I tried. So, yes. so as a new Nintendo convert, what's mm. going to happen next year when uh, the new consoles come out? Um, I'll, I'll keep the Switch and it will be used and played when it has games that are only available on that platform or if I fancy playing something like 
Um, like a Hollow Knight. I like playing those type of games on the Switch. I don't know why. Like a 2D. <laughs> I don't think anyone's game. figured that out yet. Everyone says that, but no one can ever provide a good reason why. No, and um, so it's it's there. I mean, I'll I'll get the the next generation of consoles, and most likely, and that then the Switch will, will still be there, and I'm sure we'll have Breath of the Wild two in the next maybe eighteen months, two years max. So that'll that'll be one to get. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's I, it's been a good purchase for me. I think it's slowed down personally for me, but I you mean I as far as your enjoyment I'm, of the console has it slowed down? Just. Content. I tend to spread myself a little bit too thin, so sometimes things don't get the time they deserve. But it's just the interest in the games. I mean, it's it, some people. I've got an Xbox One sitting there. I've got a PlayStation Four. I've got a P. I mean, I'm never going to run out of a game to play. So it's finding something that's going to, you know, attract me to one particular piece of hardware. It's always going to be the games. It's never really going to be the experience. It's going to be Smart what game. What game can I play on on which platform and which, which is best for that? Is it is it a Hollow Knight that actually I'd prefer to play on the Switch? Okay, if it is, I'll go and get it on the Switch rather than PC or or, or PlayStation or Xbox. And um, I just I just go to whatever platform it takes my fancy, whatever game at that moment I, I want to play. So, will you buy another Nintendo console? Yeah, they've not let me down here. I don't I don't feel. Um, let down by them at all, really. If there um, is another one. <laughs> yeah, if there is. I mean, maybe they just re reiterate on, on the Switch for a while because, you know, it seems to be working. I, I know I'm not the only person who's kind of committed to Nintendo on the, on this particular generation. And, um, yeah, they, they, they've, done, they've obviously hit a, hit a very uh, popular market and it seems to be doing well with the, with the data you provided earlier i think what you're you're going to get on the for people saying that nintendo's this is not their best console is the the main comparison people have is against the other platforms which is not what you're asking you're asking is oh this you mean the against like playstation 4 and xbox yeah One? yeah, yeah. no is this is nintendo i'm not saying it's the best console ever yeah. period i'm saying it's the best nintendo console yeah i thought i, I made that clear that, but maybe not no no i uh, I, I I don't know what you <laughs> you may get some people trying to. <laughs> it is the internet. <laughs> what I don't realise is how you know Nintendo have been pretty rubbish for you know throughout their their console and hardware iterations. So the the bar really hasn't been overly high. Um, you look at the Wii. Yes, it sold gangbusters, but that the content and the quality of the, the games in there dropped off sharpish, and it was just shovelware and. You know, we sport ripoffs appearing after the, the the slurge of good stuff that came through. So yeah. they haven't got. I don't think they've had an amazing bar. The, the people that have been that grew up on the NES or the SNES, you'd be hard pressed to convince them otherwise because that is a nostalgic, you know, um, uh, thought process. And it's do you it's think one that's, that's a big part of it? Is that a lot of people will say, "Oh, well, I was a kid or I was uh, mm. thirteen. And this other Nintendo console is what got me into gaming and turned me into quote unquote a hardcore gamer. Yeah, and I think that's that is an important thing to to bring up. But you, this you, isn't. You but stick. this isn't your favorite Nintendo console. No. This is what is the best. Yeah, and I would argue that in in most console generations, the 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 new best console is is always coming out. Like we, I don't look back to the PlayStation One and go that was the best console. It, it wasn't because it's compared to what I've got today and what I've been playing. It's it's nowhere near. Objectively, it just isn't. Oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I get that. that that 
that should constantly be happening. It's just that Nintendo had a few missteps and had things like the Wii U, where you could argue that the Wii was better than that, which is a, a shocking thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Calling the Wii better than anything is a shocking thing to say <laughs> at this point. I mean, I couldn't believe when I looked, when I started gathering this data, and I couldn't believe how few games the N64 had. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow. Like, really? I mean, it was... But it it did kind it had, of die an early death, but yeah, 388 the, games? Yeah, I mean, crazy. It, the thing with the N64, though, it had Ocarina of Time and Mario 64. Groundbreaking. Which, groundbreak, and that's, yeah. that's what people remember. And yep. that, that sometimes goes, goes further than the, the quantity of games on it, because it's... It, and nowadays, it's even hard to say, well, we haven't had any groundbreaking games like that, but... You know, and I'm not sure we will get many games like that going forward. There's, there's been so many ideas tried and tested. We might get a couple of gems, but to, back then the, the ceiling was there to be broken, and now the, the ceiling's way higher, and you, it's, you're going to be hard pressed to find those, you know, the, the, those groundbreaking games in 2019 and, and going forward. We I might mean, get a forever couple, but... you're going to have problems finding games like yeah. that. And I would agree yeah. with the prior caller too, who said this generation's maybe been a little bit underwhelming um it's really hard if you go back and look it's really hard to pluck out a lot of games that broke new ground to me this was the safe generation the last generation as you had said uh it was the transition to hd at least real hd we had semi hd with the first xbox but it was really the first shift to hd and so you saw a lot of developers experimenting trying new things uh, this generation, everyone kind of settled in, and they're yeah. like, okay, we've got making 1080p games whipped. Let's try 4K, um, but they didn't really stretch their legs and, and create new gaming paradigms or new sort of game design paradigms, and that to no. me is a disappointment. Like, in generally, I don't count on big-budget software to deliver that stuff usually. I count on the indies to do that. And even the indies from the last four or five years have kind of struggled to find new hooks and new ideas. So yeah, I don't know if we're like reaching the law of diminishing returns at this point yeah. where we're just never going to get new genres and ideas. Like lately we have seen like music and rhythm getting mixed in with like everything. Yeah. But other than that, it's it's been a pretty safe generation for software in my opinion. Yeah, I think what's happened is there's been a, a shift in focus from the developers and the publishers. We've seen the, you know, the, the loot-driven yeah. grind games, games coming out. Games as a and service, yeah. That's kind of the big... Absolutely. I mean, you're right. That's that's actually a really good point. If there is a paradigm shift this generation, it's games mm -hmm. as a service, which does absolutely. nothing for the player. It's just no. a way to milk more money from us. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's not yeah. innovation. That's not pushing the envelope. That's not developing on the bleeding edge. No. That's just no, finding a way to squeeze an extra penny out of your fans, basically. Yeah. And, and that's I'll, a shame. Just... If that's the big story, that's a shame. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that is the, one of the big stories. I mean, I've, I've just finished, finally, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and that was almost like a, a single-player game to the service for the length of that that mother. It was just <laughs> I couldn't believe no, right. how how big and vast it was. And obviously they had big three big packs of DLC as well, so they were hoping players would be kept engaged. But yeah, I think sadly when we look back on this generation, it will be 
that will be one of the highlights along with with the battle royale genre but um that in itself is a game as a service so it's that's just been bred out of the the current focus and how innovative really is battle royale i mean it's really just free for all it's it's a a mode we've been playing for years but they just added some players to it is it really innovative or was it just kind of a cool idea yeah yeah i mean it 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 probably was just more of a cool idea we've had large-scale multiplayer but you know it's 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 worked it's it's hooked people into it and uh we are we are i've I've still enjoyed the generation and uh oh yeah hell yeah this has been a great generation the games have been great they just haven't been groundbreaking no exactly it's been more polished than the new ideas which isn't a bad thing because no you know play some great games and uh i'm looking forward to see what see what they do next generation i hope they don't just focus on 4k and resolution and ray tracing bits and pieces like that starting but, to look like it though yeah, i know isn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely but yeah. um we'll i mean see. death stranding oh. is probably one of the most unique games of this gen it could be awful it could yeah it could be it, abysmal. <laughs> Who knows? Um, I, when Kojima <laughs> goes for a more... I'll say this. The more Kojima tries to be like everyone else, the worse he is. When he just yeah. ignores what everyone else is doing, that's when he tends to deliver something truly groundbreaking and great. And so yeah. I do have high hopes for Death Stranding because he's obviously not following a template with that game. <laughs> no, we, we will find out what an unleashed Kojima can really do. And for better for, or for worse, I'm in for seeing what that is. Absolutely. So. And the good thing is you have people like us who can tell you whether it's good or not before you have to spend your own money. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we will die on the sword. So anyway, thanks, OTAPS, man. Great call. Great conversation. I uh, really appreciate you calling in, and we'll see you back here next Saturday. Jeez, thank you. See Take you soon. Take care, man. All right, OTAPS. He was an OG from... Uh, the THS early days. Uh, glad to see him calling back in. So I still don't have anyone who will call in and uh, tell me I'm wrong, that I don't know what I'm talking about, that uh, the Switch, there's no way the Switch is the best console ever from Nintendo. All right, here we got a call. Maybe here's somebody who's going to tell me. Who do we got? Mikey Novak. What's up, Mikey? Hey, Shane. Sorry. Let me turn off my air conditioner. No problem. Oh, another note I should mention, not just for this episode, but for future episodes of today's High Score, is always make sure you turn down your computer speakers when you call. Because if you don't, we're going to get a wicked echo and feedback. So once you connect with me and you're on the show, make sure that you turn down the speakers on your computer. Well, I'm on headphones. Is that all right? That's great. Yep, that, that works too. So what's your take on this, Mike? Well, I mean, I was trying to glean actually what your original question was from all of uh, from all of people's chatting because I got here about 10 minutes late. Oh, okay, so you missed my open where I kind of went through yeah. all the data. And Do you want a quick rundown of that stuff? Sure, just real quick. Okay, so sales-wise, Switch is already at 37 million. GameCube sold 22, N64 mm-hmm. sold 33, SNES okay. sold 49. Um, it's tracking, the Wii sold 101 million. So it may not hit that, it might. But it's tracking to be at least the second best-selling Nintendo console ever. And then as far mm-hmm. as games are concerned, the Switch has over 1,800 games already in just over yes. two years. Wii U finished with 764. The Wii had 1535. In other words, already the Switch has more games than any other Nintendo console. So that was the data okay. that I shared at the open. Okay. So... 
<laughs> based on the data. What do you think? Well, I mean, the par part of it is is that um, I think I mean it's mostly it's novelty has driven a lot of the sales for it. Um, I think people were really um, happy to have a console that looked like it could actually do uh, and be a good game console and actually distinct uh, from its pre predecessor, the Wii U. Um, but I think also a lot of its success has to do with not quite cannibalizing, but um, I'm sure some of the people who bought the Switch are people who only would have bought one of Nintendo's handheld consoles or um, sure. handhelds. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. And um, I think it has it has the ability to be one of the best or at least one of the best selling. But I think mostly in a fluke way similar to what the Wii is because the Wii pulled in people who had never bought that a console of any type before. And then they obviously weren't repeat buyers come the next generation. Yep. That's like, fair. Yeah, and, and even um and even further down the line, like uh, I don't know how many uh, nursing homes are buying the Switch uh, to give to their denizens to uh, to play different things like that. And so, um, so you feel I, like the Wii reached new audiences, and the Switch isn't doing that. Correct. I think that's the, also um, fair. I think I think the Switch is reaching for the most part. Existing um, Nintendo console uh, hardcore gamers, the you know the 13 plus million who either um, did buy the Wii U or almost bought the Wii U, partially from and partially the audience of their handhelds. Um, I really don't know anyone, or not that many people. Maybe one guy who bought a Switch who had never bought any Nintendo console before in his life, and I think it's basically just joining forces of the people who like Nintendo. Um, and Our I don't last think caller actually was one of those people, Otaps. He just said yeah. that Switch was the first ever Nintendo console he bought. Correct. And I, I think it is bringing in new people, just not maybe as many as as people can tell. Because without having like a, a purchase survey, like, why did you buy this console? Yeah. It's hard to tell which uh, camp that everyone's being pulled from. And um, I, I know I almost didn't buy the Switch. Uh, I mean, I okay, almost not buying the Switch is actually a lie. Like, I... <laughs> but it was, but it was. Um, I was very much concerned about, like I'm very much in Matt in Matt Kyle's camp. Like I've played that console less than an hour in handheld mode, and I've played it three hours on the road. But I set it up on my table, and my brothers and I sat around playing Mario Kart, which is awesome because I couldn't have done that with any other console. But we all would have preferred just to have had a, a normal TV or a more powerful console. I mean, I'll, and, to be honest with you, I'm in Matt Kyle's camp too, and that I hardly yeah. ever play it handheld. I mean, I would, but I just don't really play games on the go anymore. I play so many games sitting on my couch that I don't need to take one on the go mm -hmm. anymore. Plus, I'm not as on the go as I used to be. Yeah. I don't have a long commute. I don't fly as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. um, so my lifestyle's kind of changed, but mm -hmm. I don't... I guess the difference between Matt and I in that regard is that Matt makes kind of a conscious decision to not play it as a handheld. And for me, it just has kind of organically happened that way because my lifestyle just doesn't match it anymore. Yeah. And I really wanted the Switch to actually become my portable um, my portable indie platform. Yeah. But due to 
my hands being so big and that being it being uncomfortable for me to play. And um, I had to do a lot of research like with Hollow Knight, with Dead Cells, with a lot of um, games that would have been awesome on that platform. I had reports and reviews that they were not reaching the 60 FPS of everything else. And I was uh-huh. like, that's, imp- that's important to me. And so a lot of games I would have bought on the Switch, I went and bought on Steam because um, because I just really wanted them to be as smooth they, as they could. And like the games that I have spent my entire summer playing, I played through Ori and the Blind Forest, and I'm trying desperately to beat the final boss in Hollow Knight uh, right before we came in. And good luck. <laughs> I would have, I, I would have loved, I would have loved to have played those, played those on the go, but um, just the platform itself is not the right platform for me for trying to do that. And it doesn't help that uh, the different issues are coming up that are kind of showing in light that even though it was a good idea, a lot of the switch, a lot of the components were rushed, like components on the on the console on the console <laughs> itself. Yeah. Well, and well, and there's a ton of really cool technology. And actually, Nintendo almost always tries to put some really cool technology. And I don't know how many of them have ever actually stuck. Yeah, not a lot. Sometimes they come up with stuff and then they never release it or they bail on it quickly. Remember yeah. that uh, GBA connector for the GameCube? That may be before your yeah. time, but but they no. uh, they no, really I force I foresorted. <laughs> yeah, they pump that up and then it ended up being used for like two games. And I think that makes people reticent yeah, to yeah. jump in on new ten- on new Nintendo ideas sometimes. Yeah. Let's go back to what you're talking about with the Wii though. Um, sure. So the thing with the Wii was sure it was in nursing homes. Uh, people like our parents wanted to play it, which is great. But when you really yeah. look at the data, it those people bought the console, got Wii Sports for free, and never mm-hmm. bought anything else. So, oh yeah, the software is it better to have a terrible. console that's that casual people end up resonating with and don't end up buying a lot of software, or? Is it better to have a console like the Switch that resonates with the hardcore, the people who are going to spend a ton of money on software? Well, I mean, overall, for your platform, you really want um, you want people who buy a lot of software because, um, like, in general. But Nintendo's in the unique uh, position that I don't think they've ever lost money on hardware to date. Oh, yeah. They always sell their hardware at a profit or at the very least at break even. Yeah. Correct. So and so the Wii, like even if they didn't have a lot of software uh, adoption, they made a ton of money on that system because Nintendo doesn't sell at a loss. Yeah. If if uh, if PlayStation um, or Microsoft had been in the same situation, they might have not actually been happy if like everyone just bought the Xbox 360 and only played the Kinect demo disc or whatever that came in yeah. the box. They wouldn't have been happy. They would have been like, no, we, we want you to subscribe to online. We want you to buy – we want you to eventually over the life of the console spend at least as much as you paid on the console, if not more, on games. That's true. Yeah. And um, and I'm one of, I'm one of the, the, the weird – well, not weird, but the less than standard Switch players is that I basically buy maybe two games a year for Switch. And it's Nintendo's really big ones. Um, so you have uh, both other consoles? Uh, I only have PlayStation uh, because I have a very nice gaming PC. So oh, okay, that covers most of your Xbox stuff then. Correct. So I, I really don't have any gaps. 
And so anything anything that isn't Nintendo core, I'm not going to buy on the on the Switch just because. Again, it's like, it's like Matt Kyle switching over to the Xbox One X for all of his commonly available stuff. He's Third like party stuff, it, yeah. It looks the best. It plays the best, and so and I agree with him. And and um, aside from a couple of weird deals, Nintendo also doesn't have sales that often. If Nintendo yeah. had Steam sales, I would have probably filled out most of their library long ago. Hey, I had that game, Elibits. It was terrible, but I bought it. <laughs> yeah, I have a question for you. So, sure. like I said, the we sold over 100 million consoles, and there's still a long way to go for the Switch to get there. Mm-hmm. But do you think that the people that bought the Wii either ended up picking up Wii U or bought another console? Do you think that it was an evangelist and turned those people into gamers? Or do you think it was just a flash in the pan? Because the attach rate for Wii was abysmal. And in all honesty, yeah. a lot of publishers, third-party publishers, came back to Nintendo for the Wii and then was taught another really hard lesson, and now they're gone, and they don't work with Nintendo anymore. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I have a problem viewing the Wii as a superior platform to Switch no, because of that. No, no, I, I don't think, and that's and that's kind of what I was getting at, um, that I would not argue that the Wii is the most successful console. I would just argue that it sold the most. Yeah. Like, it... And and it all depends on the metrics of success that you're measuring it by. But I'd say is actually furthering uh, video games as a whole. Um, I don't think the Wii actually did very much. In fact, it probably set a few things back because it set relationships back with Nintendo and third parties. Um, it's basically taught a lot of people actually that unless it has Nintendo on the on the uh, the logo or the producer. If it's on a Nintendo console, it there's a good chance it's garbage. Yeah. And so I I think it software wise, it actually might have done more harm than good, at least outside of Nintendo's core properties. Also, a lot of people hate the waggle that was associated with a lot of Wii games. I didn't. I actually liked the motion controls on Wii, but yeah, no, Matt, for instance, I, he he hated them. No, no, I I actually had no problem with them. Like I was a little disappointed that it wasn't uh, as you know precise as it was uh, marketed to us. Did you ever and get the it, Motion Plus attachment or a Motion Plus controller? Because it got a uh, lot my, better then. Yeah, my, my brother got that with the, um, oh, what is it, Skyward Sword. Yeah. He got the Skyward Sword bundle, and mm-hmm. I played that, and I'm like, oh, this feels much better. Yeah, but it I actually a huge loved, leap. But I actually loved playing through Twilight Princess with the, uh, I actually did what you do with the Switch with Twilight Princess, like have like the split hands, yeah. kind of like very relaxed. I played every and, Wii game like, that way, that. every single one of them. That's what got me onto it. Yeah. And then it went away for Wii U, and I was like, mm-hmm. that sucks. Like, no. I like I, playing that way. But I absolutely love playing Metroid Prime 3 and Res- the Resident Evil 4 re-release on Wii. Those are two of my favorite games, and I loved – and that, I thought they used the, uh, the, uh, the aiming and the other stuff like that of the Wii to its – probably one of its best uses, like all, even more so than like Legend of Zelda and stuff like that. But Oh, wow. Yeah, I like, – like, 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 or at least with um, Metroid Prime Three, everything that you did with the with like the nunchucks and stuff like that felt like you were kind of doing what was happening in the war, like tearing oh, yeah. off shields. Tearing the shields like, off felt real like, good. And, and even just pulling levers, it like instead of any yeah. other game, it's like press a button to do this, and it's like no, pull your nunchuck down. And I'm like, all right, I'm cranking this shaft down, and we're we're gonna go. And like I love that game has a lot of special memories for me because I. Uh, was not uh, free to play whenever I wanted at that time. 
So I played 90% of that game after 11 p.m. at night, snuck down, snuck down in the basement after my parents had gone to sleep. <laughs> you know what? I'm running B-roll here of Wii U right now, and I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm watching it. I'm yeah. gonna rewind this right now because I don't know if you noticed or not, but in this trailer, it says switch from TV to your controller. Yeah, it says yeah. it right on right there. Switch from TV to the new controller. Yeah, that's wow. <laughs> yeah, it just shows you that that was something that was brewing there for yeah. a long time, and it was something that they were trying to do. Maybe they just didn't have the tech for it yet. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny yeah. going back and looking at this old promo stuff and seeing kind of how stuff was marketed and. My just, brother actually still like um, my brother actually still loves his Wii U. He keeps it around because there's still a bunch of games on it that uh, they haven't ported to Switch yet, like um, uh, Breath of the Wild or sorry, um, Twilight Princess HD, yeah, uh, Wind Waker HD. Like those games, he's like these games are gorgeous and they play great on this. Yeah, and there's nowhere else to play it yet. I boxed mine up. It's been in the box now for a g I, honestly after I got Switch, I think I boxed it up and put it away. Um, Understood. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> well, I, well, I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of Wii U. I mean, to me, yeah. it wasn't a terrible console. No, no. It just was marketed terribly, and because of that, it didn't have the legs to actually get people to uh, buy software and prolong its life. Even though um, the the Wii U was basically Wii HD, and and like like that that's just something I just can't get over that... Um, People are trying to push 4K, and Nintendo still struggles to hit 1080. And it's I know. just it's just something that bothers me. And have you been playing making... Fire Emblem? Um, I actually have not, uh, because um, well, partially because I was blowing through Hollow Knight, and secondly, the that series is just one of those series that never really grabbed me. And I know, and I know that it's uh, a grind. People... I'm at the and point I... in the game where it's really a grind. I'm about yeah, like, like 35 or 40 hours in and I'm like, man, I'm starting to get tired of this. <laughs> it's it's one of the it's one of those games like Persona that I love hearing people so passionate about and yeah. I love to enjoy it from a distance and uh just enjoy like Sifted talking about it, Easy Allies talking about it, and occasionally watching it pop up is up, but I'm like, I'm good. I, I, I don't <laughs> need to run my I don't need to run my own school in um these curiously for these curiously dressed individuals. Um <laughs> It's a, uh, but oddly enough, I like the original Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, I hate I hate two. Okay, but, uh, but I like the original Xenoblade Chronicles. Those games are a little bit of a grind. They're really long. Oh, it was tons of grind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I'm sixty hours into Hollow Knight, so it's, I'm not against the grind. It just was how I chose to spend my time grinding. So, gotcha. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Mike. That was a great call. Really insightful. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, connect with us today. Have a great Saturday, brother. No problem. I'll be around. All right. All right. So after it was all said and done, I don't think anybody really refuted my assertion that the Switch is Nintendo's best console. Um, I'll give you guys, if anyone has a call where they feel like they can convince me that that's not the case, I'll take one more call on this topic. Don't call if you're going to agree with me, but if you disagree with me on this, give me a call and uh, we'll hear you out. Because uh, that's what this is all about. It's about different viewpoints. Uh, you guys may have a different perspective on something than I do that could make me go, oh, you know what? You're absolutely right. So 
I love my Switch. I think most people do. Uh, again, I don't play it a lot handheld, but I don't need to. I get enough playtime out of it playing it docked. Uh, this is the year of the Switch, honestly. The Switch has carried this year for gaming. There were a couple decent third-party releases at the beginning of the year for other consoles, but for the most part, the Switch has really carried 2019. It's impressive. It's amazing to see. Uh, I'm not a Nintendo fan, but I do respect the fact that Nintendo doesn't give up. And not only does it not give up, it doesn't give up trying to succeed doing things the way it wants to do them. So Blue Ocean Strategy, remember hearing that around the Wii and, and all that? Nintendo hasn't given up on that, despite failing miserably with the Wii U. Miserably. You would think some companies would say, oh, we went out on a limb, we tried something different, we tried something new, it didn't work, let's go back to the old way. Or let's start doing things the way everyone else does them. Nintendo never did that. It never buckled. It, it was like, you know what, we're going to double down. Um, and I think when you have success like Nintendo had with the Wii, I think that galvanizes decision-making like that because if you're Nintendo... You had a couple bad consoles in a row. You had, like, the GameCube and the N64. They weren't terrible, but they weren't successful by Nintendo standards. It's easy to shift focus then because you're like, oh, we've had all these terrible runs from these two consoles. Let's switch it up, and they did that with the Wii. And then the Wii just put so much money in Nintendo's coffers. I think what it realized was, okay, well, we can try this Blue Ocean strategy and if it fails, like it did with the Wii U, that's okay. Because when it succeeds, we make so much money that it'll pay off those last 10 years of failure, and then some. And that's exactly what happened with the Wii. The Wii was so successful and generated so much revenue that it covered the losses from the N64 and the GameCube, and then some. And that money, in all likelihood, also covered the, the failure that was the Wii U. Uh, but Nintendo was like, you know, we can have a miss or two in a row like it did before. But that's okay because if we have one hit, it will make up for all of that and then some. Um, and so I admire that Nintendo is stuck to its guns. I think fiscally it makes sense, although some people may say it doesn't. I think if you look at Nintendo's track record, it does make sense. So there you go. My opinion Nintendo Switch, Nintendo's best console ever. All right, let's move on. We've got about a half hour left, and that topic took up a little bit more than I thought, but that's the way the show kind of works. It's uh, We start getting in good conversations with you guys, and the time just kind of flies by. And usually I have way more topics for episodes of this show than I ever get to. So I'm going to try to get to these next couple a little more quickly. Um, and again, give us a call on Skype at Sifted Games, S-I-F-T-D, G-A-M-E-S. So, Ninja's writing a book. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Ninja is probably the most rec recognizable face in all of video games right now. I mean, he's bigger than any developer. He's bigger than Reggie or any executive that people kind of freak out over. He's bigger than anything. He's the biggest thing in games. So this week, it was announced that Ninja, also 
Twitch is arguably Twitch's biggest star, is jumping ship from Twitch to go to Microsoft streaming service, which is called Mixer. I don't know if any of you guys have fiddled around with Mixer, but if you have actually, give us a call because I have not spent much time on Mixer. And I think if one of you have, and you could call in, you could kind of fill us in on the pluses and minuses of Twitch versus Mixer, because I think that would great provide a great frame of reference for us for this conversation. So if you spent some time on Mixer, give us a call at Sifted Games on Skype and let us know what you think the differences are, the major differences are between the two. For me personally, someone who's only checked out Mixer a handful of times, to me, the biggest and most obvious difference is one is thriving and the other is a ghost town. And I'm not so sure that giving, and the rumor is right now, at least this is what Pactor told me yesterday, that he heard through the grapevine. The rumor is that Ninja was paid $10 million. And the thing about it is, he is not, and again, this is something that I was told by Pactor, and this is what's kind of going around behind the scenes in the industry. The other part of the contract is he is only obligated to play Fortnite on Mixer. If he wants to play other games on Twitch, he can. So they signed an, exclu an exclusive Fortnite streaming license with Ninja and gave him $10 million to do it. Is it going to make a difference? The days that he streams, it will. <laughs> the mixer will go from like a couple hundred thousand uniques a day to half a million uniques a day. Is that worth $10 million if you're Microsoft? I think it is. And the reason that I think it is, is because Microsoft has invested a ton of money into mixer. And Again, I don't know if any of you have used it. If you have, call in and let me know what you think about it. But based upon what I've been told and what I've experienced on Mixer, Mixer technically seems like it might be the superior platform. Uh, it's, it seems to have more functionality, better functionality. The economy there isn't as developed as it is on Twitch. Um, and that's a big deal, particularly for streamers, because... We don't get a ton of money from bits and things like that, but most streamers do. Um, I mean, they make a lot. I don't know if you saw the story that we curated on Sifted this week about a streamer who just, he plays Minecraft and he hit it big. And he, he said he makes more money in a month now on Twitch than he did in two years of working his old job. Think about that. That's insane. That economy alone is going to keep people on Twitch. Not just people that are watching, like the you, you good folks who are watching this right now. You have bits, a lot of you. You've plunked down your credit card and bought a chunk of bits so you can reward your favorite streamers. Uh, the streamers rely on folks like you and your bits to make a living. And that, to me, was the smartest thing Twitch ever did. Not just because it can make money off of those bits, but because it solidifies your community and unites them under currency and once somebody has put skin in the game they're in that game and trying to get them out of that to play a game somewhere else and be a part of something somewhere else is extremely 
difficult. So just hiring one streamer, granted it's Ninja, he's the biggest streamer in the history of streaming. So I can understand why Microsoft might be fooled into thinking the biggest streamer playing the biggest game in the world is going to change the fortunes of our streaming service. But how long is Fortnite going to last? I think we're already starting to see a softening of the Fortnite market. I was just at a wedding on the East Coast a couple weeks ago, and I had a chance to hang out with all my nieces and nephews. And I have like 12 of them. And most of them are boys, more boys than girls. The girls don't play games at all, by the way. None of them. Not a single niece that I have, despite what I do and my vocation, none of them play games. None of the girls do. Not even mobile games. All the boys do. And I go and hang out with that crew of people every holiday season. And for the last two years, all it was was Fortnite. All they got for Christmas was Fortnite stuff, Fortnite backpacks, Fortnite pencil cases, Fortnite posters, Fortnite towels. Uh, my one nephew in particular was completely obsessed with it. So I get to this wedding. I haven't seen these folks in about seven months. And I start talking to them about games like I do with pretty much everyone I run into. And I start talking to my nephews and all of them are kind of like, yeah, I don't really play that much anymore. And he had and they had previously gone through the Minecraft stage. Then they went through the Fortnite stage. And now he's playing Apex Legends. He's getting a little older. He's not six anymore. He's eight or he's nine. And there are, when you're in school at that age, when your first friend starts playing those other games, he's the cool guy. You want to be the cool guy. And so you, you change what you play as well. And so at least anecdotally amongst my relatives and the young kids that I know and love, Fortnite's starting to soften. So... What happens when people don't care about Fortnite as much as they do now? If you're Ninja, you don't give a crap because you just signed a huge contract for a game that is on the down portion of its curve. And you're still able, free and able, to play any other game you want. Any other game you want on Twitch. So if you're Ninja, that's a no-brainer, people. That is a no-brainer. I saw a lot of people online saying, oh, well, you know, he's going to turn off his fans on Twitch. The fans on Twitch aren't going to go over. I don't believe that for a minute. If they're real fans, they're going to follow him no matter where he goes, whether he streams on YouTube or Twitch or Mixer or whatever, they're going to follow him. The casual folks, maybe. Maybe they don't want to jump over to that new service and check it out just for Ninja. But his fans are going to be there. But that doesn't help Microsoft enough. Is it worth 10 million? Is it 10 million enough? That's tough. That, that's a tough determination to make. Um, I'm sure, as I've said many times before, Microsoft's smart. It has all the data. It runs the data uh, before it makes decisions like this. But in $10 million is a drop in the bucket to Microsoft. I should also add, I think you guys know that already, but it is. It's really nothing to Microsoft to spend $10 million on something. It'd be great if they invested $10 million sifted. <laughs> um, so, look, it's not a big loss to Microsoft, but still, is it a smart investment? And I would argue, whew, I don't know if I could argue. I think it's 
it's right in the middle. I think it could break either way. Um, and again, if it were another company, I would say it's a terrible investment because it's Microsoft and it has 10 million to, to throw around like pocket lint. It's not as big a deal. So what's the end result of all this? What do you guys think? Are any of you guys Ninja fans? Did any of you guys even get excited like that about streamers? Um, it seems like some of you do because some of you guys have bits, which means you're probably all over Twitch and you're spending your bits. Is this going to convince you to go to Mixer and check out Ninja? Give us a call on Skype at Sifted Games. Um, Ninja's also writing a book. Yo, we got our first call on this topic. Daniel McAndrew. Oh, no, that's not Daniel. That's Mitch. What's up, Mitch? <laughs> hey, how's How did it get going? you on screen, brother? What's going on, man? Uh, nothing much. Uh, I think uh, I was too happy you brought up Ninja because uh, there's some really interesting things. I think you brought some interesting points, and uh, I've been watching this because um, I found out from the story from ESPN of all places. So I was like on ESPN, and all of a sudden it popped up as their top story on their website, which yeah. is crazy to think about. Cause well, it's... when that kid won the tournament and won $3 million from Pennsylvania, right. I might add, rep repping the state, he was everywhere. That was on CNN. That was on ESPN. Like, I don't, I honestly am wondering if these outlets were paid for the coverage. Because, look, there are esports tournaments all the time for that kind of money, and nobody like that ever covers them. This kid wins $3 million, It's everywhere. So I don't know if Epic is, like, greasing the palms of these websites to get him to run stuff. I don't know, but I thought that was kind of suspicious. Yeah, and I, I, think it, I just thought it was really interesting from him and his side. And I think uh, the thing for Ninja... I think this is a smart move for him overall, to be honest. And I've kind of been keeping track of how many followers he's getting. It had me actually check out Mixer for the first time. Oh, I've it never did. So you actually went Mixer. and checked it out. Yeah, I took a look at it. Uh, I will say uh, Mixer looks a little more aesthetically pleasing uh, compared to Twitch in regards to it's yep. got a nice color scheme. I it, agree. It's a little more welcoming. It looks better. Yeah. Yeah. This one, this Twitch somehow, for how much money they make, this the website itself looks a little crummy like it's on day one it does. a little bit. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I think a lot of times, and I think this happened to IGN because they launched so early, but IGN had a problem because it was one of the first gaming websites ever, and it built so much content on top of this old, ancient platform that as other sites cropped up and obviously looked far more futuristic than IGN, it struggled to re-platform to get all that content onto a new platform that was more flexible and they could do more with. And I think Twitch might be in the same boat on that. Yeah, I mean, you were, I mean, you guys ran into something similar. I mean, I don't I don't think you were running game trailers at the time, but when they had to re-platform, you run into some difficulties with that transition. Um, but I kind of Well, the problem out, we uh, had at game trailers with our re-platform was the last re-platform, which literally just killed game trailers was yeah. that they forced us onto Viacom's proprietary platform, which was there to create websites for television networks. So all they needed was a crappy Flash player, and back then it was a Flash player, 
a crappy Flash player, the ability to post articles and images. And that was it. And for us, they were basically saying, hey, you have this crazy advanced website that your guy Brent built, but we are having problems running our ad inventory on that website because it doesn't work like all the rest of the websites at Viacom. And so mm -hmm. instead of saying, but you know what, if we make GT go to this other platform, they're going to lose all their audience and ad ads won't matter. They were like, oh, no, we need to run ads and we need to make it as easy as possible for our sales and marketing department. It was a catastrophically awful decision that killed the website. After we worked on that replatforming, I might add, I specifically worked on that replatform for like 18 months sitting in scrums all day with, it, it was awful, all for nothing. All the while we're telling them, this is going to kill our website. So you're right. I mean, that's the danger of being first, but your point about the amount of money that they have, they that shouldn't be a problem for them. Yeah, and I kind of checked out and he has already had occurred over half a million, uh, just over, I think it's 543,000 uh, subscribers or followers or whatever the capacity is for Mixer. Again, I only visited for the first time, so I'm not sure of what they do with their capacity. And then they're also offering as a as a thing for Mixer is you can give a free sub this month specifically. And I think it's an probably an honor of him hopping over to the new platform. So that oh, gives people absolutely. an easy way to hop into the website, check it out, you know, get get used to him and uh and then enjoy it and then go oh well i guess i can re-up because i've been hanging out there all month and i mean he streams so often so he's gonna often, bring actually, a lot of people how, how often does he stream uh six days a week six and he does it week. twice a day twice a day in the morning wow. and and the afternoon and then he spends some time with his wife in between if i remember his schedule right <laughs> his wife, poor wife <laughs> I well, she. I guess she's his manager, so I mean, she's oh. doing pretty well for herself too. So. Oh, for sure. She just sees all the money coming in. She's just like, dang, I never dreamed you'd become this. She's like, I hit the jackpot. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, and she streams too. Is uh, so oh. they kind of they kind of decked out their house too. Sometimes they do like cooking sessions together, where they stream a cooking session together, where they cook at in their kitchen. It's really so is their house just all wired with cameras and like they just live their lives on TV, basically. It's getting pretty close to Big Brother, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think the other thing that I, I think regardless of him transitioning to Mixer and, and regardless of your point in regards to uh, Fortnite, if Fortnite's going to last, even though he's making that money regardless on Fortnite, I think he has hit to the point where he could transition to anything and uh, he'll get a large sum of people to follow him in that transition that I think compared to other streamers that may need to transition to another game, they're not going to get that following to go with them potentially compared to him. Oh, he's, he's the so only big. one capable of this. Like, it's not like Microsoft could have signed someone else. This is it. If you're trying to make a big play to make your service successful, this was your only play. Yeah, he's the only one that's known by a single name. Like it's like Drake for video games. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's a one name title guy. I hate Drake, and, by the way. <laughs> After the NBA finals, I, I can't stand him. Oh, I, I would find that annoying too. I could totally get that. Yeah. Uh what was my other point on? Um Yeah, but I think I think that's what 
I think that's what's the biggest appealing thing for him is he's going to be able to transition compared to other people. And I think the one other thing is as soon as the story happened, I was like, I got to get on Twitter. I got to see what people are saying because, yeah. of course, you get a mixture of the two. But there, someone posted something and it was really interesting to see is someone was crying on Mixer because they talked about how they've been doing Mixer for over a little over a year and they had constantly zero viewers. And this was the first time they had not only one viewer, he said he had 100 viewers for wow. the first time. And he's like, wow. you know, for once, my hard work is paying off. I finally Why get to Why did he choose Mixer exposure. to stream? I don't know. I, uh, I <laughs> it's it was, hard um, to feel bad for him. I think it was Burkoff mentioned to me earlier today. He told me that a friend of his says it's a lot easier to with his Xbox to be able to integrate ah, Instagram and all those other I'm sure platforms. is all integrated for Xbox. Yeah, exactly. So sense. it's easier for him to do that. And so uh -huh. I, it's potentially that kid was doing that. But just the fact of the emotion that he got out of it is, you know, the exposure is going to do nothing but good for the market. It's going to make Twitch. Uh, it's going to make Twitch need to compete harder because Mixer, people are going to go to Mixer and maybe see that this might be the better service and they might start losing some views on that area. And, who knows if if this is successful as it is, uh, who knows if Mixer is going to ask some other people to transfer from Twitch and maybe offer, you know, a plan to say, hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars if you transition from from Twitch to Mixer, if you have X amount of followers, who knows? And they could eventually take people off the market for Twitch and maybe then Twitch will not be the superior market or Twitch will have to find a new way to be relevant and compete. Yeah, so on the site, on that article that announced this whole thing, Zet Saber had a great comment. He said, people will just restream his streams on Twitch and have a larger audience. What do you think about that? Do you think that that's true? It's a possibility, but I think that's for the people Because think about that it, that's all you have them. to do. You just send the video feed into your video card and you just restream him on your channel. And now all of a sudden, you're the one with like 400,000 people watching your stream of him streaming on Mixer. I mean, the way the technology is like that, I think to, for me, that was the big sticking point with this whole thing was as to whether it was worth the investment or not for Microsoft. Is just the way the technology is now, you can't. It's almost stupid to sign an exclusive with anybody because you can it can get restreamed and bounced around. I mean, you can put it on YouTube. It's so hard to protect a stream from people who want it illegally. You can't. It's but just the nature of say, broadcasting it. I guess you could say the opposite, though. Uh, if, if like people on Mixer could be streaming his stream and people are watching his stream on Mixer. So but it's, there's it's nobody on Mixer. That's that's <laughs> the point. That's what Zed Saber's saying. He's like, but you sure everybody could and it, they will. Everybody on Mixer is going to restream him because they want what that kid got, which is, oh, my God, there's 100 people here watching me. I've never had any. And they're all going to hope for that. They're like, if I restream him, maybe someone will stumble on my channel and start watching it and they'll subscribe to my channel instead of his official channel or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when there's nobody there to watch, it's all irrelevant. If you restream him on Twitch, it's going to explode. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can see why Microsoft did it. I mean, it's really like a Trojan horse to get people there. And then hopefully they find some other streamers that they like. I just... I just think ultimately it's going to mostly be money flushed down the toilet.
Well, who knows? Uh, the other thing I was thinking about is it, it could be, for all we know, it could be, it could be a Trojan horse, but it could be an ultimate master plan because we do have a Microsoft console coming out next year. And what if their focus is on streaming? What if their focus is getting Ninja on that stage to say, hey, I'm going to do it. On, uh, Xbox has the best way to connect to Mixer. This is how you should do it. And this is how we're going to make streaming even better. What if he has input on what, what Mixer will be for the future by signing this contract of some kind? Does like, he, but they use them as his promotion. Does he care what the future of Mixer is? He just got 10 mil. He's like, you can do whatever the hell you want. I'm paid. You don't have to. I mean, I don't know how long the contract was for. Um, I'm sure. guessing it was probably one year, though. I mean, you'd be stupid if you're Microsoft to sign someone to an exclusive deal for Fortnite that's longer than a year, I think. Right. Yeah, but who knows? It, it could be this ultimate master plan that we're just missing some key element. It's just the first step to the ultimate to ultimate goal of some kind of domination. But the fact that it pulled the headlines like it did, I I was I had to take a a second take when it happened. I was like. Wait, this is not a joke. And then I saw his video, and, and I was like, everywhere. "Oh, is this a parody?" And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I saw it on the news. And I was like, "Okay, this is not a parody. This no, is real. No, okay, it's legit. Let's... It is the real deal for sure." Well, listen, Mitch. Thank you for calling in, man. As always, a great conversation. Uh, when is? Uh, did you guys record beer over it today? Yeah, we just uh, we did it a couple hours ago. So we talked about game pricing and uh, in kind of melded into a different conversation but uh it's already archived on sifted so oh, it's up on the site to... already i've been here for the last like five hours with you guys can only see me but <laughs> all around i am completely surrounded by gear like all the way around me there is just this little window here that you guys can see everything else around me is just monitors and PCs and there's wires going everywhere. I've got to figure out a better way to do this every week. I, I know that. Uh, I got here real early today. thought I had plenty of time and I did not. So uh, thanks for joining <laughs> the show, of our Mitch. Lives. <laughs> As always, a great call. Great talking to you. Everybody, when we're done here, head over to Sifted and check out the new episode of The Beer Umverit, one of Sifted's community podcasts. Uh, the archive of this will probably be up early tomorrow, I'm guessing. So that'll give you plenty of time to check out Mitch's podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show, man. Of course, anytime. All right, later. All right, see you. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I mentioned off the top, is that Ninja is writing a book. Um, writing a book sounds like a pain in the ass, and I think if you actually wrote the book, it would be. But that's not typically how celebrity books work. Typically, celebrity books are written by ghost writers who will research the person, work up a rough draft, send it to the celebrity, and the celebrity looks it over and just adds notes. And after they get the notes, they go over them. They'll do some face-to-face uh, -face meetings with the celebrity uh, to get some personalized quotes to make it seem more like they wrote the book. And I can tell you, I can pretty much guarantee Ninja is not going to write that book. It's going to go down exactly how I said it. There are book farms set up for this very purpose. Um, publishers, that where that's all they do, they have the staff in place to handle it all. Once they sign the book deal, the machine is just set into motion. I can guarantee that's what's going to happen for Ninja's book. This book is going to sell like hotcakes. 
It is going to sell like crazy. I saw some people on Sifted saying, no, it's not going to sell. Oh, my gosh. It is going to be a New York Times bestseller so many times over. And a big part of that is that book sales, like a lot of media sales, have fallen rather significantly. So the the metrics, the bar you need to reach in order to become a bestseller, it's not what it used to be. Being a New York Times bestseller is not of the same prestige as you would have got back in the 70s or 80s if you had a New York Times bestseller. And a lot of that is because people are, it's ebooks and people stealing books. Regardless, this book is gonna make him another $10 million at least. He may have signed the deal for more than that. Um, books are a very easy way for rich people to get richer. <laughs> you don't have to do anything, you just license your story. Somebody does a research, you add a couple of anecdotes, maybe a couple stories, personal stories from that moment in your life. Uh, they get a couple quotes from you, and then you go back and forth, and then the book goes out, and you make buku bucks. So whoever Ninja's agent is, and I believe he's represented by CAA, and that is a huge talent agency here in LA. Um, basically, if you talk to someone who works as talent in LA, and you ask them who reps them, and they tell you CAA, that's another way of them saying to you, I'm big time, basically. Um, it's a humble brag. And I'm guessing CAA is representing Ninja as well, and they're doing an amazing job of maximizing his earnings potential. So I'm not hating on the guy. If I was in his position, I would do the same exact thing. I'm probably going to write a book someday anyway, but I will absolutely write it myself. All right. Time for the last big topic of today's high score. We're going to talk about EA. Isn't EA great? EA is great for podcasts because it always provides topics when there's nothing else going on. <laughs> so I have a love-hate relationship with EA, but EA has had another, yet another crazy week. Um, it came out, first of all, EA right now is on a Defend Itself tour. It is, it's doing its financial reporting. And it is getting a lot of hard questions from investors, from journalists, from people at panels. I mean, they're just getting hit from all sides. But they're very unified in their disgustingness. Uh, it seems that no matter who speaks for EA, it, it's always the same message, and it's always a crummy message. So the latest this week was that uh, the CEO of EA stated that we don't, we're not that concerned about Nintendo Switch anymore because people don't buy our games on Nintendo platforms. And so the response I think a lot of people had to that was, oh, it's a chicken or egg scenario. Um, we would buy your games if they were better. But some of the stuff in EA's games can't really run on the Switch because the Switch is underpowered. So it's... You're asking EA to make better games for Switch, but it's a challenge because the hardware isn't there. And EA is saying, we can't sell any games on Switch, so we don't want to make any games for Switch anymore. So which is it? Do you believe that if EA actually invested a good amount of money in FIFA for Switch or Madden for Switch, that it would actually sell well? Give me a call on Skype at Sifted Games 
What do you think it is? Which which does come first, the chicken or the egg? Do you think that EA just needs to bite the bullet and make the games better and then people will buy or vice versa? Here's our call. Let's see who we got. Oh, hi, Shane. Is this Daniel McAndrew? It is indeed. You fooled us earlier, man. I thought that uh, it was you, and it actually ended up being someone else. Welcome to the show. Well, yeah, cheers. And um, thank you, by the way, for handling... If you don't know, Daniel handles our Twitter account. He is our new head of social media. And you guys all noticed that he started working on it, because you guys started reaching out to me, and you were saying, oh... Your Twitter feed is so much better. I don't think you're doing it. And you were right. I was not doing it. We had handed it over. <laughs> and he's been doing an amazing job. So welcome to today's high score. Welcome cheers, back. Cheers. You were also on the show prior when we when we did it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm it. glad it's come back. It was uh, I missed it, actually. It was always quite good fun on Saturday evening. Yeah, before we're doing it in the day. So in. now it's better. I think before you were staying up until like 2 in the morning or something to come on yeah. the show. So doing it at around 2 o'clock, did that time work okay for you? Yeah, it's about 11.30 p.m. here. But Still kind of late, I guess. But um, also moving Game Face to 9, I mean, 9 p.m. UK time allows me to tweet alongside it a lot easier than staying yeah, up yeah. to like 1 a.m. So <laughs> that helps me out. But no, uh, with EA, well, I, I think I kind of agree with you where it is a chicken and the egg scenario. Nintendo software isn't good or hardware, sorry, isn't good enough to run EA's games. However, I would look at the example of Ubisoft where instead of trying to take a game that's like your FIFA's or your Madden's and like make them run on the Switch, just build a third-party game that will run on the Switch because it will sell. If EA could make a decent game that wasn't your Madden's, your FIFA, I think they would get game sales and they would be happy with them. The so what you're is, saying is that EA shouldn't be making its sports games for Switch. It should be making something else for the platform. Yeah, because actually, when it comes down to it, I think the main issue is, Shane, is what do EA actually have these days? I know, obviously, they've got the Star Wars game coming, but in the last, like, three, four years, if it wasn't for FIFA, really, and Madden and your sports games, they've just had failure after failure from their other franchises, and they don't actually have anything to offer. If you look at, like, your Ubisoft, how many different games, I know it's, a lot of them are quite similar, but how many games they're actually releasing that are new or just... Uh, new ips and things especially for the switch and things they've got it right i think ea's biggest issue and why they're like shying away from nintendo is actually they don't want to make any new games <laughs> oh really well look That's one of I the things one of the other topics for ea from this week is that we're going to see a new need for speed and a new plants versus zombies at gamescom which is coming up real but, soon um but so is that new that's just like they're just what they're gonna do is reskin it. Like I don't see them as we talked about earlier. This generation's been uh, about not revolutionising the uh, game space in some ways, like with new genres and new new ways to play and things. And Need for Speed, we've had countless amounts of those. This will be the third Plants vs Zombies or fourth, third. Yeah, it'll be three. Uh, at, Provided yeah, it's so, Garden Warfare three, which I think it will be. Yeah, um, and I just think to myself, well. What's EA doing? <laughs> right. FIFA, every year, it generally has the same mechanics. There's also a bit of tweaking, graphical tweaking. But really, that's there. That's built. There's obviously, it does take time to, to make those tweaks and things. But once you've got, for a new platform, fair enough, there's going to be a lot more work. 
But I just think, especially with Madden as well, I was a bit disappointed with your review of Madden because yeah. I was going to pick it up. I think I'll wait a year now for the next gen. <laughs> but um, just things like that. I just think EA are just resting on their laurels and go, oh, FIFA will see us through. FIFA will see us through. And all I know is that, yeah, it is a moneymaker and things like that. But uh, the... Uh-oh. Um, it, you have an earthquake there in the UK. <laughs> that may have been... I have, Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I just think that uh, EA need to get off their asses and start making games again rather than just relying on already existing IP. And then they can't really complain that Nintendo's hardware isn't good enough because they're actually building some actual run on the hardware that people want to buy. Because as we talked about earlier with Nintendo, Nintendo's on an up curve with this console. Yeah. And actually, if you're actually sensible, you want to get in on that good stuff. Like, I'm, like, blown away by my Switch. I'm loving every minute of it. I'm one of those weird people who just plays it in handheld, which everyone will think is super strange. The only no, time I don't I think ever so. I don't my, think so at all. I think a lot of people only, play it that way. Yeah. The only time I plug it into my dock is for uh, Mario Party or, like, just, like, multiplayer games like Mario Kart and stuff when people are around. But when I'm playing single player, I play it all in handheld because then the TV can be unoccupied for like my missus is watching other things and just makes it and then i've got commutes to work as well so it just comes into really good uh work there so i just think ea are just making that excuse because actually what they've realized is we're missing out on this good thing but rather than admitting that they're going oh no well you always complain that our games don't run properly and no one buys them so we're not going to make anything i think it's a lame excuse personally okay i have a couple of questions for you okay first of all do you think EA building a game specifically for Switch is a good idea? Meaning dedicating a big budget to a game that is only ever going to run on Switch? I will say no. And the reason is, is because they can't seem to make games that are third party run well on everything at the moment. Obviously they're Maddens and then they're FIFAs and stuff, but actually other games... They haven't had that much. They have a lot of criticism through microtransactions and other mechanics. So actually, it probably wouldn't be worthwhile for them to do that. So I think they've got a lot of things they need to change in themselves uh, as a company before that would even be possible for them to do, I think. The other thing I wanted to bring up is, I don't know if you remember, there was a period where EA was exactly what you're asking for. It was working on new games, new IP, and almost all those games crashed and burned. Um, I don't know if you remember a game called Dante's Inferno. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> that was a period where EA was exactly what you're asking for. It was I... constantly announcing new games that weren't just its regurgitated sports franchises. Uh, we were getting those at the same time, along with the new need for speed almost every year. But ultimately, almost all of those games sucked. Um, I think what I think is they've gone from that to very like redacted and not really producing anything new they just need to find a happy medium i think where like i love i don't i like fifa i like madden i'll pick up madden every other year fifa normally the reverse of that so if i've got a madden i haven't got a fifa that's kind of how i play it but i just think that it's a shame that they can't look at other um the companies in the industry and go why can't we make something slightly outside the box because they don't run. have the talent. They don't have the studios yeah, to do it. I think I think you're right. They don't have the studios to do it. And they, well, 
And yeah, that's what they've got to. But I just think it's a shame that they just, I just think it's a lame excuse I'm saying that they can't have anything on Nintendo because people aren't buying it. And I do see the argument that the software's, the hardware's not good enough for the software, but I do think that other companies have managed it and are starting to manage it and realizing that it can work. The fact you can, we're getting The Witcher on the Switch. I know it's a beginning of the generation game, but still, like, there is ways to do it if you actually put the time into it. And, uh, I don't know. I just think it's a lame excuse, personally. I'd agree with you, honestly. Uh, The other big story from EA this week is it is really the first third-party publisher to come out and say, we're working on PS5 and Xbox Two games, or Scarlet, whatever you want to call it, and they're going to be ready for launch next year. So we have all this awful stuff. Of course, we're not even going to get into the whole loot box, microtransaction, surprise mechanic. We've beaten that. We've flogged that horse to death. But EA does enough other bad stuff that there's still plenty of stuff to talk about. But this is one case where that's a good story to me, that EA is already cocked and loaded and ready for next generation when it hits next year. Do you think that the ill will that EA has kind of, and I would say earned this generation. It's earned it. It hasn't been saddled with it. It's earned it. But do you think that that ill will could carry over to next generation? Definitely. I think, sorry, my dog Your is dog barking. sounds give sad. <laughs> Gotta give him a treat to shut him up, right? <laughs> yeah, just chuck him a treat. Sorry about that. It's okay. The, um, no, um, I think definitely. I think, well, I think actually what a big... What a big um, point of saving grace might be for them is the Star Wars game, if that booms or busts. Because I think if that booms, then I think people have a short memory and may forget because uh, they're a new generation, whatever. If it doesn't go so well for them, I think people are still going to buy FIFA. People are still going to buy Madden. But is that are they is that what EA is going to be known for going forward? Maybe. I think I think a lot of they've had a lot of issues with other things going forward that um yeah i what i look at when you're talking about loot boxes and things when rockstar can come out and open a casino and yeah. everyone's just okay with it yeah yeah that just Every, they hate you. everybody else for gambling <laughs> and games but rockstar fine exactly it's okay and when uh, rockstar does anything <laughs> it is amazing to me the free pass that rockstar gets for everything i mean the other story this week is that Rockstar has not paid a penny in taxes for over 10 years. Think about that. Think about how much money that company has generated between GTA 5 and all its different incarnations and versions, GTA Online, Red Dead Redemption 2, and not a penny. Of, that's almost almost equivalent to Amazon finding a way to like slide around tax laws in the U.S., Oh no! Is that so? Is that in the UK? Is that in the US? They haven't paid tax. Yeah, Amazon. For Rockstar, no, it's in Europe. Rockstar. Yes, UK. Oh, in Europe, in the UK, they haven't paid tax. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I was going to say, I was like, I was like, norm- I could see why they wouldn't have paid tax in the US because they're a UK registered company. But that's interesting to see that they haven't paid tax in the UK or to yeah. Europe. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. That yeah, well, there you go. Untouchables. Yeah, they hate EA, but they love uh, Rockstar. Where I live in Lincoln uh, is a big uh, one of Rockstar's like test game testing places is down the road from my house. So oh really? Funny that, have you ever yeah, like tried to a... sneak in there or look in the windows? <laughs> I had a I'm not even kidding. Like, have you ever done that? 
I had a friend um, who did some game testing for them for uh, Red Dead here. Uh, he said that was quite fun. Um, so, but yeah, no, uh, it's interesting. It is, it is funny when you, I didn't know that was the thing. But yeah, no, with Rockstar, that's what I mean. So Rockstar do that, and that's pretty precarious. Them opening a casino. But yeah. if that had been EA, oh, oh my god, could you imagine oh the backlash if the, EA had done that? Twitter would have just gone on. Would have been just an outrage, wouldn't they? So it just and, shows and look, you to be map. fair. I mean. EA has earned that. I mean, oh yeah, 100%. It, it hasn't done even half the crap. You know, Rockstar hasn't even done half the crap that EA has done. So EA has earned that that cocked eyebrow of like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Rockstar has earned a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt, but then Rockstar just launches a straight up casino. It's like we aren't half stepping with these surprise mechanic crappy things. Like you're playing blackjack, like. I mean, I got to say, you know, sometimes I admire Rockstar for its brazenness because it will just do stuff that no other publisher would even venture to even think about because it would just be suicide. But for Rockstar, it, everything always ends up coming up roses somehow, some way. I, I don't get it. I mean, obviously their games are great and that helps, but what the hell? Oh, yeah. No, I, I do agree with you. And I think and this is when you're thinking about will it go over to next gen? Sadly, I think EA's hatreds will still go because, like everyone, ev like even like I so I'm a school teacher, secondary school teacher, and even the kids at my school who like I, I've noticed the sevens and eights play Fortnite, the older ones play Apex Legends, but they all know who they all know that even though it was published by EA, um, they all know the hatred for EA, and they will have the, and a lot of them actually. Well, it's free though; it's free to play. Yeah, so. it's free. That's why it's free to play. No but surprise mechanics them, there. Yeah, so you've got all these. Uh, you've got. They even know there's like, oh, why would I buy an EA game because it's always got bugs in it? And they're like, <laughs> oh, really? 50, they think all EA games old. have bugs. Well, that's the way because of I think because of uh, it was Andromeda that had a few bu oh, facial bugs, right, right. things like that. So just stuff yeah. that they've heard and they know just by reading things and that, like just reading things online. These kids are always connected. Yeah, I mean, easy. where so, you work, you have better insight into the kids than anybody. Yeah, so it's quite interesting. And I work on like the east coast of the UK, so like literally in the middle of nowhere. And like these kids, it's called Skegness. All the uh, English uh, watchers would know exactly what I mean. And these kids are quite deprived, but literally they're all switched on, like on the internet. And like the stuff they stuff they say to me, I just laugh because obviously they're shocked when I rebuttal and say having a point. And they're like, "Oh, so you play <laughs> games?" I'm like, "Yes, I've been playing games a lot longer than you've been alive." But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so they, they, it's quite interesting to hear they're like upset towards EA as well, and they're like yeah. 15, 16, 17 years old. So and they're gonna in a few years buy behind the PlayStation Five for themselves off their money and things yep. like that. So. I think I definitely don't think it's going away for EA, sadly. But I think they need to bring back a bit of good faith. They need to launch a game that isn't a sports game that actually is successful and doesn't have hidden hidden loot boxes or hidden or st stupid bugs that actually, if they play tested it a bit before they've released it, uh, they wouldn't have them. Just things like that, I think. And I think the difference is Rockstar generally when they release the game, it's generally solid. Obviously, there is the exceptions, but I think, and that's where the trust. I mean, unless you're up. talking about the first Red Dead. Yeah, that, that was game terrific. launched as a disaster, but that yeah. was that was Rockstar San Diego, so it's okay. It was it was it wasn't real Rockstar. That was the American <laughs> Rockstar. Of course, yeah. their games are going to be buggy. Um, the only, the I don't think there's one, a difference anymore. I think it's just Rockstar. They all work together on everything now. Yeah, I think you're right. But listen, man. 
Thanks for calling in. Once again, a great call. Thank you for everything you do on social media for Sifted. Uh, thanks for um, live tweeting, uh, game sorry face. For the, sorry for the lull in July. I was away on holiday, and I didn't have very good data, so that's why it kind of lulled in July uh, for Twitter. But it's going to be back up now for the foreseeable future, and we'll be tweeting regularly and stuff. So I had another chance to speak to you about that. So You didn't miss was, anything, I man. <laughs> and it was pretty quiet, July so was dead. I mean, it always <laughs> is after E3, but it was really slow this year. I was so happy to see August come, let me tell you, because we yeah. – it was hard. Like we didn't, we actually ended up doing, I think between three game face and one grind, we still ended up doing like four episodes, but it was hard to get content together uh, for all the episodes that we did last month, but things are changing now and they should be good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're back to a regular schedule. I'll start posting those in the mornings to like let everyone know their days they're going to be on and stuff like that. So we're good to go going forward and I'll see you hopefully next week. Same time. Sounds great, man. Have a great Saturday and a great rest of your weekend. Cheers. Bye. All right. So that's EA. EA, BNEA. Great call from Daniel, as always. Uh, we'll be here every Saturday at 2 p.m. I know some of you guys watch this and you're nervous. Uh, maybe you don't want to come on the show. Uh, it's it's fine. We, we get it. A lot of you guys haven't done anything like this before. We're not going to be jerks to you guys. So, um we have one more topic for this episode, but I just want to kind of plant that in your ear for next week. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Um, maybe for your first time calling on the show, you just come in via audio. Uh, you don't come in via video. As you can see, a lot of the guys who have been on the show today were people who participated before, and uh, they're comfortable with doing it, and hopefully you'll get there as well. The last thing I wanted to talk about today, and this might be a little self-indulgent because it does relate to me personally, is it, it was announced actually it was announced like yesterday or it was divulged yesterday but we we ran it today on sifted is that the esa on its e3 website did not protect not only did it not protect the data of all the journalists and and influencers that go to the show it made that data readily available and easy to download so Every journalist or influencer that went to E3 2019, all their personal information was just leaked. Um, now, they don't have social security numbers. They have everything but. Uh, when you apply to attend E3 as media, you have to, you give them a lot of personal stuff, like your home address in case they need to send your badge to you. Uh, your phone number in case they need to reach you in case of an emergency. Uh, they you you have to photocopy your driver's license and give that to them. All of that data was easily accessible and therefore taken by someone from the E3 website. Or let me rephrase that: it was taken from the E3 website by someone. Now, don't ask me who would be on e3expo.com in late July. Okay, that, you know, people are saying, oh, I just kind of stumbled, no, 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 no. Whoever found this did not stumble upon it. No one's surfing E3's website in July just to poke around. First of all, there's nothing there. There's no news, there's no entertainment, there's no anything there. It is merely just a portal for the show where 
exhibitors and the press go to apply for badges. There's no reason for anyone to be poking around that website. So first of all, whoever got this data first, they're lying. They didn't just accidentally find it and download it and then accidentally tell everybody else on the internet that it was there so they could all get it too. Someone was poking around that website trying to find stuff, and it did. And that's because the ESA, despite representing one of the most technologically advanced industries in the galaxy, did not have adequate security for any of its data. So personally, this is, I believe, the fourth time in the last three years that my personal data has been leaked by someone or something. I was in the Equifax breach. I'm sure you guys have seen this in the news over the last week. Uh, it was announced that the class action lawsuit against them uh, resulted in what seems like a really big fine at first. And when it came to being someone who was damaged by it and claiming your money, basically they said that you'll get $125. So which is ridiculous. That's like a drop in the bucket compared to what's happened to me personally and the time that I've spent having to deal with identity theft, basically. Um, and just so you know, personally, some people will say this doesn't matter. That is a big crock of crap. I can tell you personally what happened to me just from the Equifax data breach. So somebody tried to file taxes with my information. Uh, they've actually filed taxes with my information. When I went to file my taxes, uh, it came back and said, taxes have already been filed under your social security number. So I had to contact the IRS, prove to them I was who I was. They had to cancel the other tax return and then file mine. It ended up becoming this gigantic process. But I'll be honest with you, that was nothing compared to the worst thing that happened to me from that data breach. And that was somebody used my information to set up both a cell phone and a landline with Verizon. And those accounts stayed open for a year plus. And the only reason I even knew there was a problem was my bank finally started offering credit monitoring. And for the first couple of months, I didn't even pay attention to it. I never checked my credit. I honestly have perfect credit and have for a long time. And so my bank finally gave the opportunity for me to check my credit where it wouldn't hurt my credit by checking it, which is just idiotic anyway. But it finally gave me an opportunity to check my credit without it hurting my credit. So I checked and my credit rating was like in the toilet and I literally almost had a heart attack. I was like, oh my God, what happened? Well, I started digging in and somebody had used my data to open up a landline and a mobile phone with Verizon. And that began the most frustrating two months of my life. Because what happens is these companies, they wanna make it very hard for you to get it removed from your credit because they want you to pay. So they know it was a false account. They know the person that set it up was not me. They didn't care. They wanted that $700 from somebody. And they didn't care that I got screwed and my, my identity was stolen. They're just like, you know what? We want that $700. And so we're going to make you getting this removed from your credit as difficult as possible. So you will eventually give up and just pay the money. So 
If anybody ever tells you getting your identity stolen, it doesn't matter. It, it absolutely does, and it freaking sucks. And so here I am again because of the ESA. The ESA. I got an email from the ESA today. Uh, their I'm sorry email that they sent out to all the journalists. And I'm just going to read it to you verbatim. Someone's calling, but I don't want to call yet. I'm pissed off and I want to talk about this. Here's the email that the ESA sent me. The ESA was made aware yesterday of a website vulnerability on the exhibitor portal section of the E3 website. Unfortunately, a vulnerability was exploited and that list became public. We regret this happened and are sorry. Hmm, that's nice. We provide ESA members and exhibitors a media list on a password-protected exhibitor site so they can invite you to E3 press events, connect with you for interviews, and let you know what they are showcasing. Fine. We all know this. That's why you, you actually check a box when you register for E3 of whether you want your information shared with this list. And of course, everybody does because they will then email you and say, hey, we're doing a demo of this game. Do you want to come and check it out? Of course, you're going to check that box. I did. Everybody did. Um, let's see. For more than, here's where the ESA pulls the we've been good to you for a long timeline. For more than 20 years, there has never been an issue. So ESA is saying, you know what? Since it never happened, we should not be proactive. We should just assume that it's going to be good forever. For more than 20 years, there has never been an issue. When we found out, first of all, the verbiage in this is like it was written by an eighth grader. When we found out, when we found out, we took down the E3 exhibitor portal and ensured the media list was no longer available on the E3 website. Thanks. It doesn't matter now. It's too late. I mean, what did they think that we're just going to be like, oh, we just assumed you left it up so everybody could get it. When we found out, we took down, we took it down, and it's no longer available. Again, we apologize for the inconvenience and have taken steps to ensure this will not happen again. Thank you, Entertainment Software Association. Screw you. Screw you. What steps did you take? You just gave up all our data. And you're just going to give us some ambiguous, we took steps? What steps? How do I know my data isn't still there? You didn't explain at all how it happened. Nope. It's just like there was a vulnerability. What does that mean? Does it mean that your encryption doesn't work? Does it mean that your passwords were all hacked? It's awful. This is, it's awful that it happened. And the response from the ESA is garbage. If you think I'm overreacting, go on Twitter. If you follow other game journalists, go on Twitter and see what they're saying. See how they feel about all their information. They got everything they need except for our social security numbers. That's it. They got everything else. What happens 
when this data breach in a few months starts affecting people, when stuff starts happening to them like happened to me, weird accounts being opened up under their name that they don't know about for a year until it gets reported on their credit because what happens is they open these accounts, they use the account, they never pay the bill, and then ultimately it gets shut off because the Verizon or whatever company will let them go for X amount of months before they actually cut them off. And then after they cut them off, it takes another eight to 10 months before it's in collections and appears on your credit report. So the breach that just happened by the ESA, we're not even gonna know the implications of that until after next E3. It's inconscionable that this happened. This is the ESA. They represent one of the most technologically advanced industries in the world. And apparently their cybersecurity was like bubblegum and rubber bands. I am appalled by this. And look, the ESA isn't exactly on a hot streak anyway. It's basically blown E3. It's like a mess now. Who knows what's going to happen with next year's show? Uh, their old leader was accused of sexual harassment and a bunch of other crap. They got a new president there now. This was his first chance to show me personally who he is and what he's got. And wow. Wow. Pac seems to have a lot of faith in this guy. After this, I don't. It sucks. I don't even know if I should take calls on this topic because I don't know what you guys would say. <laughs> you probably say I'm sorry and that stinks, but nothing else. But you do care about E3 and you do care about the ESA and you should care about how the ESA conducts its business because it will have an effect on you. You shouldn't care that I got my data stolen. Maybe on a personal level, you feel bad for me. But if it didn't affect you, I can understand why you're just like, whatever. Oh, we do have a caller. We have someone who wants to talk about this. Let's see what they have to say. Joseph L., welcome to today's high score. What's going on, man? Hey, Shane. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, man? Not too bad. Good to have uh, you back on the show. You were another participant back in the day. Yes, yes, Glad I to was. Have you back. Thank you. Of course. Uh, so I'm calling because I want to talk about this ESA thing and make sure that some of the record is, is clear from what I've been able to get, garner about everything that you've said. And it seems like it wasn't like bad cybersecurity. It was straight up negligence on the part of the ESA because the document was available just for anyone to get on the website at any time. Like there was no, there was no hacking needed to be done. There was nothing unscrupulous. It was just there. And the so ESA wait, had no one about it. So wait, it. there was a link that any user could access that said this is the journalist list yeah i don't know the exact details of what it said but it was uh, uh from reading the chat here uh, it was apparently an xml file that you could just click on and and uh and have access to the list and uh the esa so the original reporter on the matter was a uh, i'm in front of my computer here it was a sophia narwitz she's the one who broke the original story on it and uh, she's saying that they were notified of it over a month ago that there was a problem. Huh. And wow, uh, yeah, 
Uh, wow. She said that she emailed and called them, but they never uh, got in touch with her. And so she spent the day before publishing her piece, checking everything and doing her, the best uh, reporting and verification that she could. And I don't know if you know Rick Hogue from Hogue Law, but he was uh, yeah. a contact with her on the legal aspects of this during the time. And he tweeted that she spent the whole day uh, brushing up and making sure that everything was buttoned up before publishing the video that broke the story. So they had a lot of notice of this problem. Uh, Ms. Narwitz reached out to multiple other media outlets that had more pull than she does because she's, you know, a, a small-time YouTuber, but she reached out to Vice, according to her tweet thread here, and, it, you know, she takes the blame for not knowing that there were mirrors in other locations, but before she published the video announcing it, the site was dead. So, so wait, 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 let's rewind here. So, sure. is she the one that got the list and then distributed it? Is that what you're saying? No, she didn't distribute it. She posted a video alerting journalists to the fact that their information was available on the website at some point in time. And How did she no know that, though? How did she know that if she wasn't the one that did it? That I don't know because it was already there. She she had found out about it and made sure that it was gone before she said anything. So uh, it was long gone on his website. That, sound, that sounds a little fishy to me. Uh, I, all I can tell you is what she's saying that she said. She said that she reached out to other journalists to let them inform the ESA that she made sure that everything was gone to the best of her ability before, you know, alerting anyone to the fact that it was there. Because obviously, posting a video, hey, your personal information's on the website, is going to let other people know that their personal, other people's personal information's available. Wait, but, does she say uh, how she found out that the info that the information was out there? Uh, I'm looking through her Twitter thread right now. Uh, let me see here. Cause it's like, how did she know? How was she the first person to know? Let me see. Did like a fan send it to her or did, or was she the one poking around on the E3 website? Trying to see. She's posted proof of her phone call to the ESA trying to get in touch with them. I mean, I believe know. that. I mean, that was, yeah. I believe that she did that, but that's irrelevant to if she was the one who got it in the first place and then gave it to someone, and now it's spread like wildfire all over the internet. That's the thing. I don't think she gave it to anybody. Um, she So her first post was 23 hours ago, and it's a looks like a three-minute video on YouTube a four-minute video on YouTube saying that the, uh, it's, it's titled The ESA Doxed Over 2,000 Journalists and Content Creators Due to a Mishandling of Information That Has Since Been Removed After I Alerted Them. Full name, uh, addresses, and names, phone numbers are potentially floating somewhere online. So she didn't direct anyone anywhere. She just discovered it. I don't know where she discovered uh -huh. it from. It does not appear uh -huh. to be yeah. anywhere. That sounds a little fishy to me. I mean, but, where'd she get it from? How did she know? Uh, maybe the video says it. I have not had a chance to check the video out. I just have been following the tweets, the, you know, the Twitter thread on it all. But the video might explain how she discovered it. Uh, Interesting. Thanks yeah. for calling in with that info. I mean, that's help. That's yeah, definitely helpful. It helps frame the conversation a little better. It doesn't make me feel any better about the ESA. It makes me feel worse because what you're saying now is that yeah. the ESA knew about this a month ago and never mm -hmm. said anything. And only right. once this video came out and it was exposed, the ESA sent out this crappy email to me, which makes me believe that they were not going to tell anyone ever. Yeah, I don't they think were they like, were. They're like, we're going to sweep this under the rug and hope nobody noticed. 
Yeah, I mean, t- according to everything that I've seen, you know, the video was was posted after the link had been removed. So the ESA knew about it before the video, and then the video comes out, exposes everything, and then that's when they send the apology email. It's dirty. So dirty. All right. Very dirty. Well, thank you very uh, much, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, get yeah, in next course. week whenever we're talking about fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're a I'm great sorry, part of the show. You were great when we did them before. Not my specialty. <laughs> yeah. But we'll be back here again next uh next Saturday at two PM Pacific. Jump on early and uh become a part of the show again. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do Shane. Thanks, man. Have a good Saturday. I'm sorry this happened to you. It's all good, dude. It's not your fault. Peace. Peace. Anyway, if you can't tell, I'm really pissed off. I think part of it might have to do with the fact that I've been dealing with identity theft issues for the last couple years, and they suck. Um, A lot of people are about to get a rude awakening about this stuff, and uh, that is scathing. If what she is saying is true, and I'm not going to go into whether she was the one who found the info or whatever, who knows. But the fact of the matter is if what she's saying is true and that she alerted the ESA to this a month ago – And they never said anything. They didn't even send out. Look, they didn't even have to make a public announcement about it. They could have just sent us all emails that privately came to us. They didn't. Until she runs her video yesterday, it exposes it. Then we get the crappy email. I hate to end the show (laughs) being pissed off. I think that's the way a lot of talk shows do end, though, call-in shows. Um... And it's Saturday, so I'm going to go home. I'm going to get this show going, get it rendering, kick up my feet and play some Fire Emblem, and I'll be all over it. So, (laughs) But anyway, that is today's high score from Sifted Games. We'll be here every Saturday at 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, If I get tired of burning my Saturdays, we may move this maybe to like a Friday or something like that. I'm still trying to get our regular schedule down as far as – what day? I mean, we're going to do Game Face every Tuesday from here through the foreseeable future. But I'm still trying to get the cadence of when does Game Face go up? When does Pactor Factor go up? When does this happen? Is it better to do this Friday instead of Saturday? I'm still figuring all that stuff out. But Game Face will be every Tuesday. Pactor Factor is probably going to start getting published on Wednesdays. But we'll see. But anyway, thank you. You guys were awesome. I was, I'll be honest. I was, I was scared to come in and do this show. I really thought I was going to sit down, and it was a lot of work to get all this stuff set up. I really thought I was going to sit down, and no one was going to participate. So pleasantly surprised that the first episode of the revival of this show went as well as it did. So thank you, guys. I know it's going out on a limb to call into something like this. It's not normal. It's not what – there's really no other show like this. Um, But if you guys can kind of get over the hump – Uh, of being on camera or just being a part of the show, I think you'll see it's a ton of fun to participate in. So thanks to everybody who jumped on today. Thanks to everybody who's on the stream just watching and in the chat. Uh, I really appreciate it. Hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next time.